Today's gospel is the second half of Luke 16, after the parable of the shrewd manager that we heard last week. Now we have another story that Jesus tells right on its heels. And this will serve as the basis for the sermon today. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, when are people the most poor? I'll tell you when, because I have lots of experience. At a cemetery, I see it in their eyes. I hear it off their lips. People do not know what to do. They feel the most empty-handed and helpless, despondent and weak at a cemetery. I think that's what Jesus is saying. I think Jesus recognizes something bigger than that that you and I don't see that moment very much. We don't think about that hour in our own lives enough.
we don't let it be such a powerful, dominant part of our thinking as it could be. People most poor at such a moment. You think about all the times I get to be there and most of them I get to see a wealth you can't buy. And riches that fill me up. Because there and only there is the word of God speak such wealth. Am I right? Some stories are told and they don't strike you maybe as being like life-changing or powerful. Maybe there's casual-sounding parables of Jesus of some fine day in the afternoon as the sower sows his seed and la-dee-dee and la-dee-da and it just seems so easy and simple. And some stories are told and they would take your breath away. Some stories are told or movies and at the end of the movie, the great villain and the murderer is still alive. And then the credits come up and you're like, no, but he's still alive. There's gonna be a sequel. And it's horrible. There is a scream to learn from Jesus' parable today. I don't know if you heard what I just said. There's a scream to learn from Jesus' parable today. If I were to picture what Jesus pictures, I would see someone who is sinking slowly away from your sight, ever sinking but never disappearing, always in your view, even though this is horrible, sinking into an ocean that is nothing but fire with anguish, twisting, tortured expressions, violent weeping, sobbing, the very gnashing of teeth of which Scripture speaks. Not the well-dressed laughter of his dinner table from a day before, not the finest meats and cheeses and wines aplenty that abounded at his feast, but naked, alone, afraid, terrified, filled with anxiety and worry and agony of every sort. He does not just have some back pain or eye trouble. There is not one part of his body that he can feel good. There is not one part of his soul that soothes his mind. There's not a thought that runs through his head to give him a moment's peace. Not even the drop of water to tip on the tip of his tongue. This is the face for hell you and I get to have today. We know hell is a place 
And now you can see it when you see him. Hell's inhabitant. You get to listen to someone in hell talk. You get to listen to someone in hell think. That's what you hear today. And on the way there, the whole point of it all is for you to learn from his scream. Because, after all, this is going to be a good scream. It's something good for you to learn from this story. It's a hard story to tell, but it must be told because it's so true. And here you are with the, the story you know so well, the things you see every day. You have someone with a property, someone with a gate, so someone could be laid at that gate. You have somebody with clothes, and not just any kinds of clothes. He gets to buy the purple clothes, which you had to pay for that. And you had not just purple clothes, but you had fancy shoes, you fancy this and fancy that, because he could get whatever he wanted, and he could eat whatever he wanted, and there was so much to go around. When he bumped his elbow, he knocked an entire basket of bread over, not just a single slice of crumbs to fall for Lazarus. It was a whole basket full, and the fish could fly, and the bread would fly, and the wine was passed around, and the cheeses all spread out and laid out in nice array, and the fruits and the vegetables and the imported stuff and something from India, and here and there was all over his table. Like, be careful where you put your elbows. But Lazarus would be so grateful this is what he has. It's, that's your domain. That's your stuff. You know this stuff. Somebody who lives and breathes and eats and sits and dines and clothes themselves and enjoys. And well, then you see the exact opposite. And someone named Lazarus enters the story. Oh, interesting, the rich. But what was the rich man's name? Because I'd really like to be friends. Oh, we don't know his name. But you're going to tell me about Lazarus? He's a no-name. He's a nobody. He's a beggar covered with sores from head to toe. Like, who wants to be concerned about Lazarus? To be concerned about Lazarus is to take away my freedom from doing other things with my stuff. And now you're going to restrict it because Lazarus is at my gate. Every time I walk by my gate, now I've got to see Lazarus is sitting there and it makes me feel like I should be doing something else with my stuff and I've got to take the time to take care of Lazarus when I don't want to take this. It's my freedom. My freedom. I want to do something else with my time and not take care of Lazarus. But there Lazarus is, covered with sores from head to toe. Poor Poor, poor Lazarus. How many kinds of poverty does he seem to experience? Doesn't it sort of remind you of Job when Satan came to God and he said, you know, Job only likes you because he's rich, God. Take away his stuff and afflict his body. Oh, Lazarus is the New Testament Job. Look at him sitting down on the ground with dogs licking his sores. Sound familiar? surely he's cursed, right? Boy, you must have really upset God. You ticked him off that he took all your stuff away and afflicted your body. You're the New Testament Job. Congratulations, Lazarus. You know what Lazarus' name? It comes from an Old Testament, and it doesn't come from the Hebrew for Job. <laughs> Different sounds. 
but the Heb- it is a Hebrew name. Lazarus is a Hebrew name based on the Old Testament name Eliezer. The Eliezer. L-Z-R, Lazarus. You know what Eliezer means? It was written for you of what believers say all the time in Hebrews 13 in our second lesson, on purpose. It was there on purpose. My Lord, my God is my help. That's believer talk. Lazarus means my God is my help. Who's who's rich? Just like that, the story changes because both guys are dead. Boom. And they're dead. Lazarus is carried up by the angels and put to Abraham's side. That's where he got to go. And the rich man was was the guy I told you, the face of hell. The rich man occupies the face of hell. And you get to listen to his words as he begs and pleads for something to interrupt his pain. Do you remember what Job did to interrupt his pain when he was sitting in the dirt and he took shards of clay, like broken pottery, and he he tried to focus his pain. Everything hurt, everything hurt, everything hurt. But for him to cope was he could like scratch his sores and, and, and then at least he could tell his brain, you know how you can only like process so much pain at once, so bite your tongue if something else hurts. Have you ever done that? Have you learned about that? So he's scratching his arm so that he can focus the pain to his arm because everything hurts and at least Job can comfort himself. By, so in hell, you experience no ability to even, you don't have a pottery. You're just sinking in eternal fire. You're just tied with this anchor to your foot weighing you down as you scratch and claw and scream and cry and feel all the pain of all things at all times. And it goes on and on and on. Please, please, Abraham, Father Abraham, send Lazarus. Like I'm still treating Lazarus as this servant at my gate. Like make him be my servant. Send Lazarus down so he can you know, have him dip his finger. Just one, one moment, one drop just one drop of water. I could have, I had like a swimming pool in, back in Israel. I was like so rich and so wealthy and I had all this, now it's just a, one drop, just one drop. And I, is there a place I can buy it? What can I do to get it? Can you just send Lazarus for the one drop to cool my tongue because it's that bad? And the response of Abraham first says, you know, you know it was very different when you were alive and things were different and you were in time, you had the stuff and Lazarus was in agony, but now you see things have been flipped. Were you unaware that there was something to come after death to prepare for? Now things are flipped and what is more, there's a great chasm that is fixed so we can't go from here to there and there's no help for you. Oh, okay. That doesn't comfort him one bit. But he realizes there's no help for him personally. So he transitions. And that's a key point. So on the one hand, we're going to talk two quick points. One is that if I prioritize my days here, 
and consume them with the stuff of this life, I will completely miss out on the great joys of the priority of the life to come. I've got it all out of balance. Let's write your autobiography. Does anybody journal every day? Anybody? Probably not. But uh, let's put every single day of your life on a piece of paper. And in this really big book, for some of you, really big book, but it's okay. It's, we've learned wise things over the years. So you have a, you know, 1981 chapter, 1982, 365 pages, okay, for each year of your life. 365 pages, 365 pages. We're making a really big book in your journal. And then you die. And just when everybody else talks, the talk of the story is over. Eternity begins. How many pages do I need for that? How many pages do I need for eternity? And all of a sudden, everything in my gigantic life journal is but an introduction, isn't it? And to think of the priorities I had in this life, so invested in the introduction as if that was the main part of my story. And it's not. It's not. Look how many pages are left. That book gets really small, doesn't it? It's one of those point-blank things to say, wow, I can feast and I can sing how brief the song, how short the life. Life is but a breath scripture tries to teach you. But somehow I turn that breath into everything. Like, and it's gone. No, it's not. I have this to do and I have that to do and there's so much going on and my schedule is so busy and I have all these priorities and things to take care of and they consume my time and I'm doing this and do that and I need to do this and I have to get at that. And now I've got a new hobby and I can't wait to go on that vacation and I got this and this is, it's all, it's all right here in this little breath. There it is. Ah, hold it. Make it bigger. Ah. And instead, it's just a, and it's gone. It's just a poof, and it's gone. And then there's, then it just goes. But then it just goes. But then the story transitions. And suddenly, hell's face is turned to whom? The living and the emphasis of the story in his agonized brain goes to the living ones. The priority of the one in hell. Fine, you can't do anything for my tongue, but I've got brothers. I've got brothers. Send Lazarus. Still thinking he's my servant. Send Lazarus to them. And the emphasis of the story now shifts. It's not on this eternal one because his, his situation is stuck. He realizes the chasm is fixed. It's fixed. What's eternal lasts and it lasts forever and it stays that way. So what's me in my agony, I am stuck with it. But, but for the living, 
the living. Can you hear your heartbeat right now? Can you feel your breath and the warm blood? The living, like this, this is about you. The living, go send Lazarus to tell my brothers so they could repent. Go tell, have, have him tell them about the afterlife. Have him tell them about heaven. Have him tell them about hell. Have him tell them about their sins. Have him tell them to repent so they end, don't end up in this fire like I do. Tell them, tell them, tell them, tell them. Open the book, open the book. Send Lazarus, send Lazarus, send Lazarus. He'll do it. He'll be the prophet for them. And what does Abraham say? They have Moses and the prophets. They already have a living voice. Let them listen to them. No, 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 no. You don't get it. They need to see somebody from the dead. Like, that's just a book. You can't just give them just a book, Abraham. Don't leave them with just a book. That's what I had too. It was boring. I didn't want to go to temple. I didn't want to read from a scroll that was really old, written by somebody else I never knew or never met. I didn't trust it. Nobody else trusted it. We didn't care for it. It's just a book. So it collected dust on the shelf, right? Somebody, if somebody appears, oh, huh? Now that, that'll convert a lot of people. Walking dead through the world, Lazarus, I've been here. Hey, I was sent by your brother. You know, that'll do it. Nope. They won't believe even if someone rises from the dead. They don't listen to the law and the prophets. So there is that the focus comes to the living. And where you are left is with a scream. I told you we'd learn a scream. The scream from the one sinking down the scream from the one in utter agony and fire, utterly tormented, is left, it's narrowed down, focus on the living, and if only the living would open the book. Open the book. Another birthday party, another anniversary, another 4th of July. Open the book. Another day at the office. Another day away from the office. Open the book. Another week at school. Another exam and test to study for. Open the book. Another list of to-dos. Another chore. Another headache to maintain the car. Another task, open the book. Another vacation, a new restaurant to try, a new movie to watch. Open the book. Over and over and over do you learn the scream. All week long I got to think about this moment together living people at the center of this story. With the book. Before you die, I can tell you what the book says. Do you get it? Isn't that crazy? how little he had, how much we do. I can sit at a gate 
with everything taken away from me and sores that cover my body. But if I have this, I dare you to do a painting that many others have done and they paint the story. And you show Lazarus at the gate and you know where Lazarus is looking when he's down in the dirt? And his name means my God is my help. How rich is he? What does the word of God tell you? Is it some outdated old thing? What is the message contained in here? Is it worthy of the few moments you spend with it? Is that all? Oh, I got confirmed. Yep. Deposit in my pocket. Totally good, pastor. Weekly worship. I had banked some great growth last month. Don't need to do that anymore. Right? I've got other things. Other priorities so important. Jesus said, I have come to fulfill everything that is written in the Law and the Prophets. Do you hear those words? I have come to fulfill everything that is written in the Law and the Prophets. Every last page lives in Jesus' name. Every last word in Scripture, law and gospel, the sin that condemns you and the law that makes demands of you, Jesus has taken away those sins and he's satisfied the demands. I have come to fulfill everything that's written in the law of the prophets about me ever since Genesis 3 and the promise of a Savior, ever since Isaiah 53, the great personal pronoun switch. Me for you and me for you and me for you, says Isaiah. Look, look, he will take their punishment, and he will be your peace. It's this this great swap going on, you see? Jesus, I've come to fulfill everything. I am the great swap for you. I am the one to live, just as Job said. I know that my Redeemer lives. I can sit, and I can scratch, and I can be in terrible pain, but I know that in my, my Redeemer lives, and in the end, in the end, when everything else stops, when the chapter ends for 2,000 whatever year, that I will see God. And in my flesh I will see him, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me that that is a part of my story. In Jesus who fulfills every word. How rich we are to have the words of everlasting life. Lord, you have the words of everlasting life. Oh, my brothers and sisters, I can't say enough. Jesus has said it all. And I praise and thank God that today we're here together listening. Make a commitment with me in the joy of the gospel and the great gift of God in his word alone that will usher your soul in Jesus' name and carry you through the valley of the shadow of death. Make a commitment with me today. Let us listen to the law and the prophets. Let us listen to the law and the prophets. Say it with me. 
Let us listen to the law and the prophets. Blessed are those who see. Blessed are those who hear. Right? Amen.